0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Spartans. It is Friday, April 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. I apologize for the uh, little slight delay here this morning. Usually we get these episodes out. uh, Recorded the night before, posted to... uh, Scheduled to post, not posted to schedule, that's what I was going to say. Scheduled to post uh, <laughs> for 5 in the morning the day of uh, release, but wasn't able to get that done last night. So I'm here talking to you actually on Friday morning. This is the first time in a long time that I have actually recorded an episode on the day of its release. Uh, usually I'm lying to you when I tell you what day it is when we're recording this. Uh, but today I'm not. Today, we're full honesty here on the Locked On Spartans podcast. On today's show, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Rashawn Gary's appearance on The Rich Eisen Show, uh, just kind of in a funny way. If you missed it, we'll go over that. Just some thoughts there. Nothing major, it'll be quick. Uh, after that, got some mailbag questions here um, as I have lost them. They're there, yeah. Sorry, I got some mailbag questions here from you guys. Um, probably just going to go through two today and going to uh, build a segment out of each one. So we're going to talk about uh, Michigan State uh, running back usage in segment two. And then segment three, we'll talk a little bit uh, about uh, the schedule. There's It's going to be a little bit different this year for football season. And I don't know if people totally know that yet. Um we got into a little bit of a groove with the, with the football schedule being similar year after year in terms of when uh, Michigan State plays Michigan, when they play Ohio State, and things like that. Switched up a little bit this year. Uh, so we'll talk about that if there's any sort of advantages or dis- disadvantages to that. Reminder, uh, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. You can get this podcast pretty much wherever you find your podcast, wherever you listen to them. Hit that subscribe button. And most mornings... Uh the show will be on your phone at five o'clock in the morning, day of release. Sometimes it'll uh it'll be a few hours after that because things happen, frankly, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um uh but yeah, and if you uh listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you got an iTunes account, head on over there, give us a five star review, that stuff really helps out. And I genuinely appreciate the good reviews uh from the bottom of my heart. Makes me feel good that you guys appreciate the show and enjoy listening to it. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about Rashawn Gary. Okay, so Rashawn Gary uh, left Michigan after his junior season, uh, is doing the rounds now, doing some media rounds uh, for the NFL Draft, and uh, was on the Rich Eisen Show. And if you... Uh, No Rich Eisen at all. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You're probably familiar with some of his work uh, with the NFL. Uh, Rich is uh, a U of M alum and uh, an unabashed U of M football fan. Uh, His banner photo is him in Michigan gear walking out to uh, midfield against probably like Western Michigan or something like that with uh, Jake Butt, and then I don't know who else is next to him, but some Michigan players for a coin toss, and then uh, you know his his, his photos, him with the Harbaugh get up, uh, the Michigan hat, the the Michigan Jordan Brand uh, shirt. So he is absolutely uh, invested in this Michigan Michigan State rivalry riches, and he likes to stir the pot at times. He had uh, Rashawn Gary on his show on his uh, on his radio show. And they got talking about the uh, the Devin Bush uh, kick in the field incident. Um, and Gary had some things to say about the rivalry that I thought were pretty funny coming from a guy uh, who probably underperformed more than any Michigan recruit, uh, or at least big-time recruit, uh, in the last handful of years here. Um, you know, Rashawn, Gary... Uh, Came in as the number one overall recruit. Uh, incredibly talented guy. Um, and, you know, here, I'll just I'll just say what he had to say here. Because, uh, remember, he didn't play in this game. He was hurt. Um, and Bush got into the, the fight with Michigan State players because he refused to move out of the way during Michigan State's pregame uh, things. Uh, he said, that's a game I wish I was there for every time we go play. Gary said, leaning into the microphone, our little sister little sister it's always that type of passion and anger you have for that game seeing my brother go out there with the emotions that I would have had uh times 100 it hurts but we came out with the win and we own Michigan period um okay so first off I I got a lot of jokes along the lines of I guess they don't teach math in general studies at Michigan which not that it's a bad joke you guys but it's just too easy <laughs> it's like the obvious one we don't know what classes Rashan Gary was or wasn't taking. Um, I certainly would never accuse a player like Rashan Gary of going to the University of Michigan not for academic reasons. I mean, that's the reason he went there. It's the leaders and the best. He went to to go be part of the uh, the most special place in all of the land not to get to the NFL in three years. Why would he do that? That's insane to ever imply something like that, like he didn't take school seriously. Oh, geez. Um, But yeah, Rashawn Gary played in two Michigan-Michigan State games, went one and one uh, in those two games. Uh, So, you know, I guess if that's owning Michigan State uh, being 500, that would be an improvement for U of M, uh, given that they've won three of the last, what, 11? You know, they're they're four and 11 in the Mark D'Antonio era. Uh, Michigan is against Michigan State. So, you know, I guess if that sort of percentage is owning the state, uh, you can go with that as well. Um, you know, I, I know that Gary wasn't here for those, and while he was here, his team did go two and one. Um, but again, he didn't play in the the third one. I guess if you want to give him credit for that, you can. But if you don't, uh, like I don't really give him any sort of credit for that. They went one and one when he played against Michigan State, uh, and honestly, it wasn't a major factor. Really ever it felt in that game and and um, you know coming in as the number one uh, recruit in the country, uh, I think a lot was expected of him um, you know, and in terms of the you know, statistics and production and things like that, he just didn't really ever reach there and I want to do this in two prongs because um, I've had a funny little back and forth with someone who's clearly a Michigan fan um this morning who told me to go watch some game film (laughs) a person on twitter um uh, at underscore d furlong dylan furlong Uh, i'm just gonna put it on blast has 103 followers looks like he's a grand valley state student but a big michigan fan uh told me to go watch some game film after he implied that he has watched every single snap of Rashawn Gary and Kenny Willekes' career. Anyway, Rashawn Gary, number one overall recruit in his class for his entire career, nine and a half sacks, 23 tackles for loss. Kenny Willekes, a former walk-on, last season, eight sacks, 20 and a half tackles for loss. Um, I threw that out there because A, Rashawn Gary was being uh, a D-bag, and when you're a D-bag and you unnecessarily talk... Trash, for some reason, especially when you can't actually back it up, Um, it it feels necessary to just throw something like that out there. It was just a funny observation. First thing I thought of when I saw it, was like, I wonder how his career numbers stack up against Kenny's numbers from last season. Wouldn't you know, after three seasons, Rashawn Gary's and Kenny Wilkes' numbers uh, are pretty much identical, except for Kenny only needed one season to do that, Rashawn needed three to do that. The response I got uh, a little bit was, you know, it's not about numbers with Gary, right? He's getting double teamed. Uh, if he was, you know, single teamed all the time, yada, yada, yada. Because, of course, Rashawn Gary was the only good player on the Michigan State defense his entire career. Did not play on uh, top five defenses at all his entire career. Loaded with first round picks on the defensive lines in the at the linebacker spot. That's not a, a case uh, where, where Gary was the only player that had to be blocked. So, I I just wanted to look uh, at some similar guys, um, you know, guys who were surefire athletic freaks playing uh, interior slash edge type positions in college uh, and certainly face a a large number of double teams and just kind of compare their stats. Uh, So, we start with Ed Oliver out of Houston, same draft class. A guy, yeah, it was, you know, American athletic competition. Um, so you know, definitely a little bit of easier competition here. Only three years as well for Ed Oliver, so it's a nice little comparison. They came in the same class. I think Oliver was ranked just behind uh, Rashan Gary there, but uh, there wasn't a single good football player on Houston's defense outside of Ed Oliver. He was getting double and triple teams a lot, um, but somehow miraculously finished with 53 tackles for loss and 13 and a half sacks, which is way more. Uh, Than Rashawn Gary. And, and gosh, even a guy like Ed Oliver is someone who's like, well, we don't know how good he is at football yet. So even a guy with question marks like Ed Oliver was able to produce at a huge level at college. Like Rashawn Gary never was able to. Uh, then we look at, you know, Indominic and Sue, another physical freak type guy. Uh, and I hope you understand why I'm putting Rashawn Gary in this class because he has put himself in this class. Um, <clears throat> the, the Sue's senior season, 20 and a half tackles for lost, 12 sacks. Uh, bettering Gary's career numbers there from the interior and sacks just in one season, and then having almost as many tackles for loss had 50, actually uh, 49.5 tackles for loss there. Uh, you know, again, in the Big 12, big-time competition, one of the, uh, the best players, getting double-teamed a lot, uh, and we saw how much, if you remember that game against Texas, that he, the Big 12 championship game, that he... Uh, Absolutely impacts him. How about Aaron Donald? You know, a guy like Aaron Donald playing in Pitt, the ACC, uh, actually Big East when he started. Uh, 28.5 tackles for a loss as a senior and 11 sacks. So in one year, Aaron Donald, um, who is, you know, short, right? He's only 6 feet tall. He's not the athletic specimen that Rashawn Gary was, not the the recruit that Rashawn Gary was. 28.5 sacks or 20 and a half tackles for loss and 11 sacks in his senior season, a career of 66 tackles for loss and 29 and a half sacks. You can tell me production doesn't really matter, um, uh, especially if you're spending time at the interior and facing extra blocks, and that's great. um, But elite players uh, transcend that. Really good football players defy that. Rashawn Gary was a, a highly ranked recruit, didn't pan out as expected, became a solid football player who you had to be aware of, had to throw extra help. Uh, towards him at times wasn't someone who is an absolute, you have to stop this guy or he's going to wreck a game. Sean Gary didn't wreck football games. Um, Kenny has wrecked a multiple football games last year. There's a difference. And I understand Gary's going to get drafted higher this year than Kenny will next year, and that's fine. Uh, that's not <clears throat> what this is about. What this is about is um, I think this a perfect encapsulation of the Michigan-Michigan state football rivalry. One has a five-star player who's going to be a top five to ten pick. Uh, in the NFL draft and just doesn't perform at a level you would expect with that type of player for whatever reason, whether he wasn't truly that good, didn't want to work that hard, didn't play that hard, uh, he was banged up at times, just too tough for him, whatever the case is, was looking forward to the NFL, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and just didn't accomplish much there, didn't win a Big Ten, didn't win a Big Ten East title, didn't win a big bowl game, um, you know, didn't beat Ohio State, um, you know, didn't uh, – he went 1-1 one one against Michigan State uh, when he was on the field, lost to Notre Dame, you know, not great in the rivalry games. So it's just, you know, an underwhelming career for sure for a guy like Rashawn Gary. And then you look at Kenny Willekes, who's a former walk-on, um, who became the best lineman in the Big Ten last season statistically uh, and looks to be a guy who has went from zero-star nothing – to uh, a guy who is producing out the wazoo, who has moved his way into a spot where he can probably end up um, with a great senior season back and you know healthy senior season back into the first round, maybe in the second round, a type of guy who looks to be a really good NFL player, make a career playing football for six, seven, eight years. You know, just a solid competitor, someone who you know is going to work his tail off and be excellent and give you everything he has. And I think that just kind of encapsulates the Michigan-Michigan State football rivalry really well. You know, a lot of flash, a lot of uh, sizzle without substance on one side, and then just, you know, the the old chip on the shoulder, under-recruited, unheralded, we're just going to go on our way and do our business type thing on the other side. So I'm happy to be on the side that I'm on. I think you guys are, too. All right, let's take a break right there when we get back for segment two. We'll uh, talk about whatever I teased earlier. I think, yeah, running back things. Uh, Reminder, you can get Locked on Spartans on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you tell or when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on Spartans. It's Kubota Orange Day. shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one-selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at kabotaorangedays.com Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's kabotaorangedays.com All right, welcome back to Locked on Spartans. Let's talk about some running back stuff. So this... Question comes from Nolan on Twitter. I think it was Twitter. It might have been an email. It, it doesn't matter. It comes from Nolan. Uh, he asks, "Does Michigan State split w- or stick with the split back system?" Let me try that again. I'm gonna just welcome back to segment two. No, um, does Michigan State stick with the split back system like they used for some of the last year and the absence of Scott? Or do you foresee one running back, i.e. Hayward, Jefferson, Bridges, getting the carries with the obvious third down back thrown in? I understand the reason for splitting the carries between backs was due to to injuries and inexperience and some experimentation due to lack of success with play calling. I'm just curious on your thoughts going into the 2019 year. That is courtesy of Nolan. All right, so I think, yeah, Michigan State, just broadly, just to answer the question, I think you're going to see uh, especially in the early going of the season, unless there are injuries and things like that. I think you're going to see four or five guys, you know, really get some touches. And I think you're going to see a, a couple of true freshmen mix in with Hayward and Jefferson and, and probably Bridges there. Uh, and you'll see some speedy Naylor in the backfield as well. Uh, and then I think quarterback run, it, will be more involved this year. So that's just broadly here, but I just want to go through some things. So last year Hayward led the team with 118 carries. Brian Lewerke had 90 second on the team lj 79 uh ladarius 78 lombardi 38 uh and then weston bridges has 16 so that's kind of you know eli collins got a couple but that doesn't really matter although he could be certainly in line for some more work uh this year collins i think he ended up playing few enough games that he'll be a redshirt freshman if i'm remembering that correctly um so that's kind of how it shook out last year and that was really a true kind of committee year there but um you know, Hayward ended up, you know, over, not even over 50% of the carries, less than 50% of the carries. Um, a weird year there for, for sure, but I just wanted to go back in previous years. Like, LJ Scott was clearly the guy uh, in 2017, and he had 201 carries, but Madre London had 83, and Gerald Holmes had 79 so it combined 162 for those guys. So really, you know, kind of a 55-45 split between LJ and the two other guys. And then Lewerke had 124 himself. You know, quarterback run has really been incorporated a lot more under uh, Lewerke during his tenure. The year before that, LJ 184, Holmes 91, Tyler O'Connor at 63, Madre at 28, uh, Damian Terry 26, and then it, it goes down from there. So 184 for LJ. And then Madre London and Gerald Holmes combined for like 111. So a little bit more of a split there. So um, we'll go back just a couple of more years uh, here just so you get the trend. But it is kind of a, you'll see, a 60-40 type thing with a lead guy getting uh, attempts. But Michigan State has really used a lot of guys. So the year before that, LJ Scott 140 carries, Madre 119, Gerald Holmes 110. Uh, Connor Cook had 52, but I think most of those are sacks. Uh, and then Dalton Williams had 26. So L.J. Scott has 126 or 146. Then London Holmes and Dalton Williams actually combined for more carries than that. So a 50-50 split really between uh, L.J. Scott or not 50-50, a, a 35-65 split. With LJ getting 35, you know, London and Holmes each getting 25, and then the rest kind of filling out from there. Uh, 2014, I know this is super exciting. Langford, 276, Nick Hill, 107, and Dalton Williams at 54. So 276 to 161. Uh, There, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but the point is just to kind of illustrate, we'll do one more year. Uh, Langford 292, Nick Hill 67, Dalton Williams 38, Riley Bulla 22. So uh, 100 and whatever, 10-ish between those guys, and Langford really dominated that year. And the previous year, uh, Le'Veon had 382, Nick Hill had 21. So that's the last time. I wanted to go back there just to show you what it was like the last time Michigan State had a true feature back and that was 2012 the team that went seven and six Le'Veon had 382 carries Nick Hill had 21 Larry Caper had 18 Langford had nine that was a total anomaly I just and I wanted to do it that way so you could see going through the years just how things sort of shake out generally with Michigan State what you're going to get is three or four guys who are going to carry the ball this year I think it's probably four because there isn't you know, a Langford uh, and someone could, Connor Hayward could be that guy, right? And he could step up and uh, just, or, or Darius Jefferson could step up and he's like, whoa, something clicked there, right? He's the guy he needs to see 40% of the team's carries or something like that. That could certainly happen. Um, and it could be a three-man committee then with some third-down work mixed in and stuff like that. But what I think is the most likely scenario is really something similar to, to um last year ultimately but i think at the beginning of the year we're gonna see hayward get carries for sure we'll see jefferson get carries for sure i think bridges will get some work i think eli collins will get some work anthony williams for sure anthony williams jr for sure Uh, We'll be getting work, the true freshman who uh, looked pretty good in the spring game. And then we'll see from the other true freshmen. There's a couple other guys coming in. If anyone, you know, makes a difference in fall camp and, and needs to be someone carrying the ball. But that's five guys right there. And then you sort of whittle it down. And if you want to go with, you know, Hayward and Jefferson because they were the two guys last year, and then uh, Williams Jr. working in, and I think Williams Jr. will be a lot of doing, will be doing a lot of third down stuff, but I think he can work out of the slot and things like that. Connor Hayward has great hands as well, so there are different pieces you can move around, but I don't foresee anyone separating themselves for sure, one hundred percent. No one will separate themselves to the point where they're getting three hundred carries. Um, and then everyone else is just kind of supplementing with 20 or 30 carries, carry here, carry there, play on third down. There's no one on this team that can do that, and I don't think they really want to do that uh, either way. What they did with Le'Veon Bell was out of absolute desperate necessity, necessity, and that's not the plan. I think what you want is kind of a little bit of that Langford mix type thing where he's getting, your lead guy's getting about 200 carries, and then... The two or three guys after that are combining for 200 or so carries, 200 and you know between 175 and 225 somewhere in there, with some catches uh, for sure worked in. You know, 50, 60, 70, maybe not 70, but 50, 60 catches between the handful of running backs. Uh, Hayward had 32 catches last year. LJ had 10. Ladarius Jefferson had seven. Uh, so that's you know 49 right there. It's about 50 catches right there. Uh, And I think with Anthony Williams Jr. ability to catch, too, we'll see a little bit more of that out of the backfield for Michigan State. So I think the perfect and and we don't know how this is going to shake out because, um, you know, the coaches have said no one has separated themselves yet. We don't know who's going to be the top guy yet on this team. But I think uh, what they're hoping for in the most likely scenario, there's two likely scenarios that someone separates themselves, gets earns you know, 200 or so carries. And like I said, the the rest of the group supplements with 175 to 225, some catches and things like that, where it is a committee, but there's a guy who gets a little bit more of a bulk of the carries than the rest. Uh, and then I think the other realistic option is something similar to last year, where you have someone get 100, 150 carries, you got another person getting 80 to 100, another person getting 80 to 100. Uh, someone else getting 20 or 30 or 40, and it's just kind of a true committee and no one really ever establishes themselves or distances themselves. And right now, uh, I don't think we have uh, a guy, like I said, who's really established himself, and we'll know more in fall camp and we'll see how things shake out. But I, I really I just want to reemphasize this. In the first couple of games this season, I think you're going to see five or six people in the backfield unless something weird happens, guys get hurt, someone really stands out and wins the job during fall camp in the in the weeks leading up to the first games or someone dominates the first two games and like that's the guy moving forward I think you're gonna see a lot of different guys getting work uh getting worked in and worked out of the backfield you know no one's gonna eclipse 20 carries in a game I would think those first few games unless they like I said really show out you know Hayward comes out and busts off a really long run and they're gonna ride the hot hand then I could see it um, but I don't see anyone taking up a bulk of those carries, especially early. And then we'll see how things shake out. And I would imagine it'll be, you know, Hayward, Jefferson kind of splitting carries in with Anthony Williams working in under them, getting catches out of the backfield. If I had to just guess right now based on the limited information that we have at this point. But that's sort of how I see them at least handling the backfield structurally uh, this season. All right, let's take a break right there. When we get back, we'll talk about segment three. Um, we'll talk about segment three. When we get back for segment three, we'll talk about uh, scheduling quirks and, and how things changed this year for Michigan State and how that might be different. Remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Spartans, the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment three of today's Locked on Spartans. Uh, Let's talk about scheduling things here as I slowly scroll back to where I need to be. All right, this next question comes from Cam Mako. Mako? Mako? Sorry, Cam. Uh, Question for Thursday on Spartans. Don't need to read that. Do you think MSU facing Ohio State early in the season uh, on October 5th and before we play Michigan helps or hurts us? I'd rather pull out the tricks on Michigan first and face OSU late in the season when the offense is in parentheses, hopefully, refined. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, generally, uh, I mean, it hasn't been the case always, but for the last five, six, seven years, the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan State game has won the Big Ten East. And I know Penn State won one in there as well. Um, but what, Michigan State's got two of them. Ohio State has four. And Penn State has won, I think, of the last seven, if I'm remembering that correctly. But generally, that Michigan State Ohio State game uh, really determines who's going to represent uh, in the Big Ten uh, championship game. And so, I don't know. It's I like playing that one towards the end of the season, just because of the stakes of it. And right, we're not ever just because of the history going to get anything like. Uh, Ohio State-Michigan last game of the season, the game, uh, which has one time now finally determined who is going to go to the Big Ten championship game. It's never going to be anything like that. So I didn't, I don't know, I didn't love playing Michigan that early in the season, admittedly. I don't know, it's kind of weird. I think the Big Ten sometimes does smart things and sometimes don't. Like Michigan and Ohio State playing the last game of the season makes obvious sense. But if you're looking at the landscape of the Big Ten, who's who, who has done what, um, I think it would make sense if Penn State, and no Penn State and Michigan State, aren't the actual biggest rivals. There's a slight rivalry there, and it's more of a competitive like these two teams compete against each other and are good, and you know generally we're part of the next tier of good big ten teams uh at the at the time when rivalries were being established and things like that. But now, as it shakes out, you know, and this stuff can be adjustable with scheduling for sure uh, outside of Ohio State and Michigan ending the season against each other, I think everything's kind of up for grabs, at least in terms of you know, just trying things out and there's not anything that's like, nope, these two have to play each other last game of the season, like Indiana and Purdue are rivals, but they don't have to play each other last game of the season because it doesn't really matter that way. Um, but I think, you know, having Michigan State and Penn State play each other last game of the season would make a lot of sense and they don't this year. Michigan State ends with uh, on the road at Rutgers and then home against Maryland are the last two games, which if you can get to those games in a good position, you can really Hold your spot, but it doesn't provide for, you know, huge stakes in those last games, uh, rivalry games and things like that. Whereas uh, I think if you went and said, you know, the Big Ten East is one of the best conferences in college football. You've got Michigan, you've got Ohio State, you've got Michigan State, you've got Penn State. Four programs that have done a lot of winning a national champion in there a few years ago, a Rose Bowl cha- couple Rose Bowl championships. Uh, you know, Cotton Bowl win, uh, playoff appearances, things like that. Like those four teams really got it going on for the most part. Um, And if you're having Michigan and Ohio State end the season against each other every year, then I think it would make sense to go back to Penn State and Michigan State because that last day of the season is really probably going to determine what happens in the Big Ten East a lot. And that sort of drama, uh, I think, is good for the sport, good for having big games and things like that, whereas – you know, Michigan State's playing Penn State October 26th. It just sort of gets lost in the shuffle, right? Um, as for the Michigan game being later than the Ohio State game, um, I like that the Michigan game's November 16th. I like the fact that it's a big game in November, and I wish more big games were in November. This year, uh, Michigan State's October is brutal. At Ohio State on October 5th, the next week at Wisconsin October 12th, and I think Wisconsin's going to be good get a bye week there, and then the week after that, you host Penn State. So three games in October, all are going to be against ranked teams, two on the road, I would guess. All are going to be against ranked teams, two on the road. Um, Playing Ohio State early, I think, is actually just for this year alone, is better because I think they're still going to be working in new guys on offense. Um, And I generally think with Ohio State's talent level, the way they flip guys into the NFL, the way their roster turns over a lot, The earlier you can get them in a season, the better shot you have of beating them. And not that, you know, Michigan State's beaten them in the Big Ten championship game. They beat them in Columbus. They've beaten them in big games before late in the season. Uh, So it's not an impossible task. We know that. But if you're getting them in October 5th, where they're in their second, third conference game, uh, they're, you know, Justin Fields, for example, their new quarterback. He's only going to have four or five games under his belt. And he's going to go from here. I'll pull up their schedule real quick. Um, Oh, dang it. You click on the freaking thing and it's like uh, Ohio State football schedule. Just bear with me for like two seconds here. (laughs) Um, There we go. Okay, so Justin Fields is going to be, you know, he's played some games, but just spot moments, right? He's still... You know, he didn't play a lot at Georgia. He's going to have Florida Atlantic, which will be easy. Cincinnati, which will be a little harder, but it's still, you know, Cincinnati. Indiana, easy. Miami of Ohio, easy. Nebraska will not have a good defense next year. And then he's got to play Michigan State. His sixth college game of his career. Sixth start at Ohio State, uh, which is not a lot of time to get your feet under you and be truly a, a good player. And he's young. He's 19 or 20. Uh, Yes, he was a highly touted recruit, but he's a kid. Uh, That's going to be a tough task for him. Whereas, if that game was towards the end of the season and he had already faced Penn State, he had already faced, um, you know, Wisconsin, he had already faced Iowa or something like that, and he's already got nine nine starts under his belt, and it's the 10th start, he's more settled in. Uh, He's made strides. He's a better football player. Like, There's a real possibility, depending on how things go for Ohio State, they could just, they're talented, so they could just (laughs) be ready to go day one and be awesome. But there are question marks there for sure. You know, that could be a game where it's like one of those learning experiences for Justin Fields. Like, okay, you got your butt kicked a little bit, and maybe they win, maybe they don't. Um, I don't think... You know, the Justin Fields could have a terrible game and Michigan State's offense could crap to bed and Ohio State could win 14 to 7 or something like that. Um, you know, may, you, you played a really tough defense. You played a team with pros at every single level of the defense, four, five, six guys who are going to get drafted next year. Probably most of the defense is going to get drafted in the next two or three years. Uh, it's going to be a top five defense. That's a learning experience for Justin Fields early in his career, where he's not really going to get anything like that before Michigan State. So I do like playing Ohio State early. It is on the road. Um, and like I said, they're replacing a lot of guys uh, on the offensive side of the ball. They're, I mean, they replaced guys on both sides of the ball. They, Urban Meyer's gone. It's a new staff. It's a new year. Things have kind of been in turmoil there a little bit. Um, and so I think getting them early is more beneficial than playing them late And then with Michigan, uh, you know they're going to be replacing a lot of guys on defense too offensively we'll see what things how things shake out with Michigan if they make any sort of adjustments but Michigan for the most part what you see on day one of their offense is kind of what you get uh, and in week 10, 11, 12. they don't do a it's a very steady offense right It's a plateau offense. And they kind of start where they end up. They don't have these massive jumps and peaks and valleys and things like that. It's a plateau offense, so I don't worry about seeing them as much. Shea Patterson is what he is at this point. He's a he's pretty much a finished product. Sure, there are steps he could probably take. You know, the offensive line could gel a little bit more and things like that, and they could get better production in the passing game from Patterson to Peoples-Jones and things like that. But I don't think you'll see a Michigan offense take huge strides. I think it'll be a good Michigan offense, uh, and I think they'll be good off the jump, and they'll still be good. I don't foresee them becoming one of the top offenses in the country uh, by season's end or anything like that. I think they're kind of a, a finished sort of product, unless they shift gears offensively and are really trying new things like we expect Michigan State to. And I do like... Michigan State having more time to get ready uh, for a team like Michigan because their defense will come around. They're losing a lot of guys, but Michigan will have a good defense by this point. And hopefully by that point, the Michigan State offense is more refined and more uh, ready to go and play on the road at Michigan in what will be uh, one of, if not the biggest games of the season. Whereas early in the season against Ohio State, with both teams replacing, switching things up and doing things, uh, Michigan State goes into that early season game with the most steady unit on either side of the ball for both teams. Their defense is going to be the best unit on that field, and maybe they can get out of there with a, a tight win against Ohio State, uh, and then you know get things more sorted out. You get you know after the Ohio State. Wisconsin-Penn State, you got a bye week in there, then you get Illinois at home, and then you get to go to Michigan. So I like the way that Michigan game sets up on the schedule, uh, at least in terms of rest and things like that. So I, I kind of, I don't know if there's a huge impact, but I do like playing Ohio State early. That would probably be my biggest takeaway from that sort of schedule quirk. And I think, you know, having Michigan towards the end of the schedule is just better for everyone, better for drama, better for... Uh, you know excitement things like that so all right that's going to be the end of today's show thanks so much for listening to today's locked on spartans reminder to rate review and subscribe to the podcast if you ever want to send in questions these all came from questions uh, and i do have some more here in the in the bank so if i didn't get to your question don't worry i will get to it down the road it is not deleted or anything like that it is here if you want to send in questions at onspartans on Twitter at will underscore underscore hunter1L2 underscores, uh, email the show locked on spartans at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail 810 666 All right, that's the end of the week here for Locked On Spartans. We'll be back Monday with more episodes of Locked On Spartans. Until then, go green. Hey Prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.